Welcome to Crisis Leadership, Coronavirus Edition, an original series and public service from Diversion Podcasts. Over five episodes, one of the world's leading crisis management experts, Dr. Charles Castor, takes what he has learned throughout his career and applies it to the coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic, preparing you to overcome the unprecedented hurdles of today and tomorrow. Crisis Leadership Coronavirus Edition is for leaders, for mentors, and for anyone who wants a peek behind the curtain at how our governments and large organizations handle or mishandle major crises. This is Episode 4, The Invisible Enemy. I'm Dr. Charles Casto, safety consultant and researcher on extreme crisis leadership. This podcast's mini-series is discussing the commonalities in leadership between the Fukushima nuclear meltdowns and the coronavirus meltdown. In this podcast, I'll discuss the importance of risk communications in an extreme crisis event. Obviously, as in any extreme crisis, risk communications is perhaps one of the most important non-technical for instance, nuclear or medical, responsibilities of the leader. Thus, it's not expected that during the Fukushima meltdowns and now during the COVID-19 meltdown, there will be difficulties in communicating a shared mental model or the risk. I'm not a communications expert, but through my many years of working with the invisible enemy of radiation and holding contentious public meetings, I have learned a great deal about risk communications. The ability to communicate the strategy and develop a shared mental model depends highly on how effective our communications are with the public. During the Fukushima accident, the government spokesperson that appeared in the public press conferences during those first few days of the crisis did little to allay the fear felt by the public. The press conferences were brief, non-technical, and few questions were answered. I know that most government spokespeople are not specialists. So this gave the public the strong impression that the government was in over their heads. There were technical communications problems as well, and this hindered the government from giving adequate or accurate advice. For instance, the government first learned about the explosion of reactor building unit one on live television, not through their emergency response system or their emergency communication system. The lack of information available to the government was partly due to inadequate emergency plans. The plans did not anticipate the importance of cell communication and how much space there would be needed for IT equipment during the event. For the COVID-19 case, communications are hampered by the extensiveness of the challenge across so many states and the lack of information from COVID-19 testing. During the Fukushima accident, handling the media was a huge challenge. With little information, a sense of denial, a lack of understanding of the reactors at the highest level of government, lack of unified command, and therefore a lack of a cohesive strategy. That was a huge handicap for the press briefings. And we see many commonalities today between the COVID-19 response and the Fukushima response. At the Fukushima accident, after the unified command structure was established, some data and information started to flow and a strategy slowly developed. Ultimately, the government learned to use the press as a mechanism to broadcast their shared mental model. 
and press briefings went from minutes to many, many hours. Extreme crisis leaders must use the press to help convey the strategy. Ask the press for help. Provide a roadmap to comfort the citizens that recovery is possible, that there is hope. This can be accomplished by using a milestone chart or a dashboard to show that you're making progress in a response. Communications aren't going to be perfect. Some of the questions that are raised during the White House press briefings are not helpful. On the other hand, what the government does have control of is its own message. For COVID-19, there seem to be two areas where communications must improve. First, the accuracy of known facts or information. There are a lot of unknown facts and information, but from the White House briefing room, when we postulate something as a verifiable fact, it must be true, no matter how small the fact. Second, you have to answer as many questions as you can. Recently, during a White House press briefing, I watched a leader hold up an advisory brochure. This advisory brochure was for the public, the actions that they needed to take. As I listened to the briefing, I logged on to the government's COVID-19 website, and the brochure wasn't there, at least that I could find. Maybe it was, but certainly it wasn't easy to find. I've also noticed more recently that the information on the website is not regularly updated. This is just one little example of many. And another example, if you want to coin a new term, a term such as the whole of America approach, then you must explain exactly what that phrase means. In the federal emergency response plans, this term is called the whole of government approach, not the whole of America approach. This White House has reframed that term. And then in a recent press conference, I heard the head of FEMA call it the whole of nation approach. Changing the term can confuse people. And with regard to answering the questions, often at the press conference, we see people dodging the press's questions or attacking the press rather than answering the question. One of the lessons we learned at Fukushima was if a press conference needs to go on for eight hours, so be it. For Fukushima, after establishing the unified command, the Japanese government representatives sat with the press answering their questions for as long as necessary. In the Three Mile Island accident response, Harold Denton, who was President Carter's representative on the ground, and a man I respect greatly, understood the importance of sharing a mental model during a crisis. He was a country boy, and he had his plain talk and his honesty that helped ease fear during the Three Mile Island accident. He was what I call a technical interpreter. A technical interpreter is someone who can take the most complex topics, COVID, nuclear reactors, and distill those topics down to something meaningful for the press and for the executive leadership team. People just naturally trusted Harold. He would sit for hours and answer all the press's questions. By contrast, today's press conferences last for just over an hour. I did see one the other day where the president talked about he, he would take as much time as necessary. That's great. Some of the press conferences, the leaders talk for most of the time, and then they scurry off without answering the questions being hurled at them. These are egregious lapses in sharing a mental model. Remember, the purpose of the press conference is to share the mental model. It's crucial to have a coherent strategy with valid facts. Leaders must present them clearly to the public in a language anyone can understand. This will result in the sharing of the mental model. Often, instead of hard information, facts, and plans, 
Our leaders often offer unreliable information and inconsistent recommendations, continually changing recommendations, or continually changing strategy. The leadership challenge is not to be too over-optimistic or too pessimistic. In either case, that can undermine the, the trust in decision-making and undermine the leader's message. From what I've witnessed during the White House briefings on COVID-19, the press has asked some pretty good questions. The question of what is your message to America? That's a good message. And they've pushed for the number of ventilators and testing. Those are all proper questions. I do think the press could do a better job of sharing the government strategy and the shared mental model rather than looking for inaccuracies or just looking for inaccuracies or contradictions and trying to undermine the leadership. This is a time to support the leader as long as the leader has a sound strategy and valid facts. I suggest that the White House press briefings follow the format that we used successfully during the Fukushima crisis with the Japanese leadership. First, we exuded a sense of shared values. We started the press conference off with a statement of condolence about the losses and deaths in Japan. Then we provided a specific example where we had success that day, something positive. Also examples of bipartisan cooperation where we worked well with the Japanese or where the president works well with Congress. Although I will note that recent White House press briefings have seemed more bipartisan. Leaders must demonstrate shared values with their followers. They must build confidence. At that point, they can gain cooperation. If there's a strong sense of shared values, when setbacks occur, and they will occur, the people will forgive the leader for that setback. In the next podcast, I'll briefly touch on the stages of an extreme crisis. This will provide a perspective on the types of extreme crisis events there are. Thanks for listening to Crisis Leadership, Coronavirus Edition, a Diversion Podcast's original series. Crisis Leadership was written and hosted by Dr. Charles Casto. Executive Producers, Scott Waxman and Mark Francis. Diversion brings real stories to life. Hear more engaging shows at diversionpodcasts.com. And if you're enjoying this show, check out this other great series from Diversion, The War Queens. Hi, I'm Emily Jordan. My dad writes military history, a history written by men about men. That is, until the day I asked him why he didn't write about women as war leaders. Emily, that's because nobody writes about wars from the perspective of women. Until now. Five years ago, my dad and I started looking into the stories of women who led their nations in wartime throughout history. These queens of swords have been winning wars for over 2,500 years, and they defeated some of the greatest male commanders in their day. As we look deeper into the rich history of women leading armies, Emily and I learned that each woman has a fascinating story to tell. Join us for fascinating true stories of powerful women waging war and teaching us lessons about power, politics, and inner strength.